what drove bond yields lower over the second quarter was really a lot of investors that were looking for value and wanted to take some risk off the table. They started looking at buying bonds. Welcome to Views from the Desk, a special edition of the BMO ETFs podcast. In these timely episodes, we provide the latest investment news and expert commentary on the markets, the economy, and investing. Brought to you by BMO Global Asset Management. The impact of the Delta variant on capital markets remains uncertain, spurring a shift for some back to bonds to wait out the volatility. Looking forward, the immediate question is, will optimism rebound or fade as we move deeper into the third quarter? In this episode, Alfred Lee and Mark Rays take stock of the problem and offer multiple trade ideas to improve your client portfolios, discussing everything from industrials to REITs, premium yield, and innovation ETFs. Before we hear from the team, please consider subscribing to Views from the Desk on your preferred podcast platform. And for many more ETF insights and resources, visit the Canadian ETF dashboard at bmoetfs.ca. Hello, and welcome to our BMO ETFs Weekly Insights Call with our team of experts. I'm your host, Mark Reyes, head of product for BMO GAM Canada. I'd like to thank everyone for listening in today. We certainly appreciate your time. We're joined today by Alfred Lee, portfolio manager on our ETF desk. And Alfred Lee will be working solo today, answering all the questions himself, so I promise to try to take it easy on him. Thank you, Alfred, for joining us today. Thanks, Mark, and uh, good morning, everyone. Great. Well, let's jump right into some things here. Now, certainly over this last week, we've seen some fears in the market. We'll say as investors kind of wrestle with the idea that the COVID variants aren't going away. So let's revisit the markets, but focus on ZINN, our broad innovation ETF. Will this continue to push companies to be even more innovative? Do you think things are, are going to kind of stagnate off of 2020? Or what does this really mean for this portfolio going forward? Thanks. Um, that's a good question. I think we're already starting to see um, COVID force a lot of these corporations to be um, even more innovation, uh, even more innovative. Um, you know, COVID, I, I would say, has definitely expedited the adoption rates that we're seeing with a lot of the innovative technologies uh, in that ZINN or the, that innovation theme. Um, so I think the most obvious area where we're starting to see, you know, COVID lead to more innovation has been, you know, genomic innovation. So uh, ZINN definitely covers genomic innovation, but we also have an ETF that focuses specifically on that theme as well, which is uh, ZGen. Um, you know, I think a good example in that space is the mRNA vaccine. So um, this is a good example because, you know, messenger RNA was actually discovered in, I think, the early 60s. But uh, there's been a lot of talks in the last three to four decades of applying, you know, mRNA to a vaccine um, during that time. But it never really got the attention and never really got the funding. But you know, because of COVID, um, a lot of these vaccine makers got the necessary funding. It brought the technology, you know, front and center. And, you know, when you look at all the vaccines that have been introduced, whether it's, you know, Moderna or Pfizer, which are mRNA focused, and you compare those to, you know, Johnson and Johnson, AstraZeneca, and some of the you know, more foreign uh, developed vaccines. You know, the mRNA mRNA vaccines have definitely been a lot more successful, um, and because of that that success, we're now starting to see, 
you know, mRNA being applied to many different areas, a lot of, you know, diseases and ailments that, you know, we thought were, you know, uncurable even five years ago, things like HIV, cancer, and even rabies, to name a few, um, you know, mRNA is potentially being applied to a lot of those uh, diseases as well in the upcoming future. So, you know, Moderna, which has been, you know, one of the um, vaccine makers that have been, you know, focused on mRNA, uh, they're one of the top holdings in both ZGen and, and ZINN at this point. So another good example where, you know, COVID has really expedited the adoption rate of a lot of these technologies has, has been Teladoc. Um, so Teladoc essentially is, you know, video conferencing uh, between doctors and patients uh, over the video conference or over the phone. Um, so because of COVID and because of the lockdown measures, um, you know, a lot of a lot of patients have essentially had to visit their doctor uh, this way. So, you know, I think even in the post-COVID world, I think a lot of people recognize that teledoc is much more efficient in, in seeing your doctor. So instead of, you know, going to your doctor's office, wasting an hour, hour and a half sitting in, in the waiting room with a lot of other sick patients, um, this is much more efficient. You know, the doctor calls you at a certain time, um, especially for small ailments such as, you know, your common cold, the fever, even getting a refill on your, on prescriptions. Uh, Teladoc is going to be much more efficient, even in the post-COVID world. Um, but I think even when you look at, you know, beyond uh, healthcare and beyond, you know, uh, genomic innovation, we're starting to see a lot of, you know, innovation themes, you know, in the broader ZINN, um, a lot of that technology being brought front and center because of COVID. So, you know, cashless payment is a good example where a lot of retailers are now preferring digital payment. So, you know, I was up in Fenelon Falls over the weekend where, you know, a small gas station there uh, did not want cash as a payment. They wanted you to tap your, um, you know, debit card, credit card, or phone in order to uh, pay for gas. So, you know, Google and Apple, uh, through Google Pay and Apple Pay, have been big players in this space. Uh, PayPal is also, you know, the owner of Venmo, which is a huge, you know, pair-to-pair uh, payment system, and you know, another Kathy Wood favorite in in the fintech space as well. Um, so I think, you know, that innovation theme is, is very much about, you know, breakthrough technologies that we're going to start to see in, over the next decade. Uh, but it's very much about, you know, to a small degree to technology that we're seeing right now as well. So DocuSign is another good example of this where, um, you know, it's a technology that's been sped up and, you know, the, it's been more widely adopted because of COVID as well. So, you know, because we're starting to see, um, you know, more people work from home, even in the post-COVID world. And as people move to a more hybrid schedule in terms of working, um, you know, signing documents, signing the necessary legal documents instead of, you know, having to do this and, you know, faxing or emailing it back and forth and using wet signatures, uh, DocuSign makes this a lot more efficient. So, you know, as I mentioned, I think, you know, ZIN, is, it's, it's very much about long-term themes, um, but it's very much about, you know, technology that is available right now as well. So uh, the World Economic Forum a couple of years ago, they highlighted how, innovation over the next decade, it's going to be on pace uh, with the industrial revolution, just in terms of, you know, how it's going to change our everyday lives and, and also the pace of innovation as well. Um, so I think ZINN is a good way to capture that theme. I wouldn't say it's a core position in your portfolio, but, you know, if you make it a satellite position to complement, you know, your more defensive oriented strategies, um, I think it, that's a good way to use in your portfolio. Great. Thanks for that, Alfred. And certainly it seems to me uh, that that rate of change, that pace and acceleration of innovation is only only picking up. And any thoughts that we may have had that things would calm down and go back to as they were before. Clearly, uh, COVID is not cooperating on that front. And 
these, these companies that have really pushed the envelope over the last year and reflecting their valuations are only going to continue to look forward to more growth. Now, as a follow-up, can you give me your outlook on REITs using ZRE if back to the office doesn't materialize in the same manner that it was sort of envisioned? Um, what is the weight of office REITs in the portfolio and has been risk has risk in this area been priced in? Thanks. Yeah, so, you know, the REIT sector is, um, you know, definitely a very interesting one because I think it's, it's a sector that, you know, hasn't really fully participated to the same degree in terms of this reopening trade. Um, but I think over the next couple of months, as we get more clarity in terms of, you know, how we get, yeah, go back to the office, uh, what the transition plan is, I think, you know, um, REITs are going to be, um, it's, it's a very interesting way to potentially play that late stage reopening play. Um, so we actually put a trade idea out, out on this uh, theme or sector, I think it was a month, month and a half ago. So we could definitely make that available. But, um, you know, to your point, I think, you know, office, to, office REITs are um, an area within the REITs uh, space that face a lot of uncertainty. Retail REITs are another area that uh, there's a lot of uncertainty just due to, you know, the lockdown measures, uh, work from home and, 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 and whatnot. But, um, you know, I think the current work from home and lockdown measures, I think it's, it's forced a lot of corporations to recognize that, you know, many employees can be uh, working from home and, and be equally as effective and in many cases, even more efficient uh, working from home as well. So even, in, in, you know, within our own industry, um, in the finance industry, even when we go back to work, we're starting to hear a lot of people move towards this flex schedule or this, you know, hybrid model where we're going to have a lot more employees working from home, um, even, you know, three days in the office, two days uh, working from home, whatever it may be. Uh, but if we look, you know, down the U.S. as, you know, cues from, you know, what potentially may happen, because there are a couple, uh, there are a couple of months ahead just because they had earlier, you know, access to vac- uh, vaccines and, um, you know, the way they've kind of, um, you know, dealt with the um, COVID has, has been a lot you know, a lot less conservative than what we're, what we're seeing in, in Canada. Uh, but, you know, a lot of the states right now, they're ordering their workforce um, to go back, you know, to the office. Um, a lot of them are adopting the hybrid model. Um, so I think, you know, over the next couple of months, we're going to get a lot more clarity in terms of, you know, how we transition back to work, which is potentially going to be a, you know, a short-term catalyst for the office REITs uh, sector or the subsector. Um, so the, office component within ZRE is about 8.9%. Uh, if you look at the more traditional market cap weighted uh, ETFs or uh, traditional indexes, it's about a 10% weighting in those market cap weighted uh, indexes and ETFs. So ZRE uh, uses an equal weighting methodology. And I think this is a very interesting way of getting exposure to REITs because um, it places less emphasis on the larger cap names, which tend to be more office and retail oriented. Um, and it puts more emphasis on um, the smaller cap names, which I think over the long term are, are much better positioned. So they're going to be involved with, you know, industrial, healthcare. Uh, they're going to be diversified REITs as well. Um, so overall, you know, we we like the REIT space. Um, I think over the short term, um, a lot of the office and retail oriented names, um, they're going to go through a transformative phase over the next four to five years. Um, over the short term, they may experience, you know, some some upside because we're going to get further clarity in terms of, you know, uh, what's going to happen in terms of going back to the office. Um, 
you know, um, you know, moving out of lockdowns, I think is going to be beneficial for the retail oriented names as well. But, you know, again, to my point, I think equal way is a good way of playing the REIT space because you're still going to get exposure to the large cap names uh, like Rio can allied cream office, but you're just going to get less exposure to those names. Uh, but over the long term, you're going to get more emphasis on, you know, the names that are much better positioned. So names like WPT, uh, Dream Industrial, Canadian Department. Um, so again, I think equal weight's a, a very interesting way of playing read space. Great, thanks for that, Alfred. Lots of uh, advisors coming in, as we can imagine, on the on the read space. So good to get an update there. Another area that's been getting some questions in is the industrials. So looking at our ZIN ETF, where advisors certainly noticed the outperformance relative to the market this year. What is driving industrials higher? Is it inflation fears, economic recovery, some combo, or something else? Thanks. Okay, so one thing I wanted to point out is uh, there's ZIN, which is our equal weight Canadian industrial ETF. There's also ZINN, which uh, we talked about at the top of the call, uh, which is the innovation ETF. So two very different ETFs. Uh, so ZIN, which is the industrial ETF, we've definitely been seeing a lot more advisors, you know, focus on this ETF over the last two to three weeks. And I think, you know, what's really been driving a lot of the attention is, um, you know, the economic recovery and, and, you know, more specifically the reopening of the border. So earlier this week, I think it was on Monday, uh, Canada announced that, you know, uh, COVID cases remain uh, low. Uh, Canada will reopen the borders on September 7th, and this is going to be open to U.S. residents that are fully vaccinated for at least 14 days uh, prior to crossing the Canadian border. So I think you know, this is a huge development. I think it's a huge, um, it's a very positive sign that economic activity is, you know, it's going to, it's going to start to normalize and, and economic activity is, is well underway. Um, I think that's going to open up the um, potential for business and, and personal travel. Um, if you look down the U.S. in terms of passenger uh, activity on, on U.S. airlines, it isn't quite back to pre-COVID levels, but it's, it's definitely been trending higher. It's about 70 to 80 percent of pre-COVID levels. Um, so I think, you know, as the borders open up, uh, it's going to increase the transportation of activities, the transportation of goods back and forth across the borders. So it's definitely a good sign that we are moving back to a more normalized environment. Um, so a lot of the names within the industrial sector are going to uh, be leveraged towards that you know, uptick in, in economic activity. So in this sector, you're going to get names like uh, the railways. So, you know, CN Rail and CP Rail, uh, which are going to be leveraged towards economic activity. Um, so are, you know, the airlines and, and the, car, the uh, cargo operators. So names like Air Canada and CargoJet. Um, but in addition to that, you're also getting construction-related names and kind of, you know, infrastructure-related names as well. So names like, you know, Stantec, Finning, uh, Acon, SNC-Lavalin. So as economic activity starts to pick up, a lot of these companies are going to see an uptick in terms of the contracts that they land as well. So I think, um, you know, so far this week, a big, big uh, you know, a big amount of the focus has been around that Delta variant and how it's affecting uh, the global numbers in terms of COVID, but you know when you look at the North American numbers, it's still trending lower in terms of cases. And I think another um, another uh, bright point in terms of the COVID numbers in, in North America is that uh, the vaccines that we've been using, both in U.S. and Canada, have been predominantly you know, the mRNA vaccine, so mainly Pfizer 
and mainly Moderna, which have been much more effective against uh, dealing with a lot of the variants. So I think if you know COVID cases remain low in both U.S. and Canada as we head into the fall, as we head into the winter, that's going to be a huge catalyst for ZIN. So, you know, again, I, I wouldn't make this a core part of the portfolio, but um, if the bulk of your portfolio is geared more towards uh, dividend-paying, more defensive-oriented strategies, I think a small uh, position, the three to five percent position in ZIN, um, it's going to be a good way to get growth in, in your portfolio. Great. Thanks for that update, Alfred. And as mentioned off the top, certainly advisors noticing the, uh, the recent performance and showing a lot of interest in industrial. So appreciate that update. You are listening to Views from the Desk, a weekly edition of the BMO ETFs podcast. If you're enjoying today's discussion, we encourage you to check out our deep dive episodes where we take you under the hood of BMO GAM's product suite. Check out episode 83 in the same podcast series where Brian Belsky, Chief Investment Strategist at BMO Capital Markets, introduces his new U.S. all-cap strategy. This exciting new ETF, ticker ZACE, ZACE, helps you invest across all market cap exposures to capture growth in companies both big and small. Now let's switch over to fixed income. Uh, related theme, but different asset class. We've seen the 10-year bond yields move in quite significantly from their highs earlier this year. Uh, is this just COVID-related, or is there something else going on we should be aware of? Uh, and to tie into it, what's your recommended ETF positioning considering this backdrop shift? Thanks. Um, so good question. Um, I think you know what's been driving yields or what's been affecting yields um, more recently, so over the last week, week and a half, is, is definitely more COVID-related. Um, but the move over the second quarter, so if you look at bond yields, both in U.S. and Canada, they've been moving down you know, progressively through the second quarter. And I would say the bulk of that move is not COVID-related. So as we headed into the second quarter, um, I think you know, interest rates, from our point of view, were primed to move lower. Um, so you know, after the first quarter, we saw a, a pretty rapid rise in interest rates over the first quarter. Uh, that led the bond market to sell off. So uh, what drove bond yields lower over the second quarter was really, you know, a lot of investors that were looking for value uh, and wanted to take some risk off the table. They started looking at, at buying bonds, especially when you look at you know, the, the valuations in the equity market. A lot of people that saw gains in the equity side of their portfolio, I think were very happy to take some risk off the table and transition back into bonds or, you know, a small portion of the gains back into bonds. Um, also, you know, a lot of these asset allocators after the first quarter, given the uptick and, you know, you know, given the gains in, that they saw on the equity side of their portfolio, they had to rebalance uh, from equities back into bonds. And, and last but not least, when you look at the uptick in yields uh, and you look at foreign investor demand, uh, a lot of foreign investors were buying uh, both Canadian and U.S. bonds because, you know, uh, from a, a credit quality perspective, they're considered investment grade. So, you know, even though if you look at yields both in U.S. and Canada uh, heading into the second quarter, even though they're pretty low on an absolute level, um, you know, if you think of it from the point of view of a European or Japanese institution, um, a lot of those yields were, you know, much more attractive than they were getting locally. And if you have to be in investment-grade bonds, uh, this was a good way of getting yield in your portfolio. Um, so, you know, since the end of March, uh, we've seen the equity market continue to rally. Uh, the S&P 500's been you know, up about 9.3%. The TSX is up you know, 7.5% since the end of March. 
Um, but if you look at the equity market rally, you know, in the first quarter compared to the second quarter, um, over the last you know month, month and a half, we've seen this rotation back in the defensive you know, growth areas uh, within the equity market. Uh, so quality is a good example where uh, in the U.S. it started to outperform over the last month. A lot of advisors starting to focus um, again on ZUQ, which is our U.S. quality ETF. Um, low volatility has also been a big focus in Canada as well. Um, so ZLB, uh, that started to outperform the TSX since the end of February. Um, so, you know, again, when you compare the rally that we've seen in the equity market in the first quarter compared to the second quarter, we didn't see that same kind of urgency as we saw, you know, in the first quarter where, um, you know, in the first quarter, it felt like if you weren't in equities, uh, you were missing out. So because of that, and because the rally in the equity market was much more selective in, in, the, in the second quarter, um, I think because of that, it didn't put the same degree of pressure on fixed income. And because of that, you know, bond yields started moving lower as a result of that. So in terms of, you know, positioning in, in your portfolio, I think um, it has to be a combination of, you know, fixed income ETFs. So you know, we've been saying all along that ZAG, which is our aggregate bond ETF, that's still a very good core position in your fixed income portfolio. But, you know, overall, overall, if I were to look down, you know, three months, four months, four months down the road, I think, you know, the threat of rising rates isn't necessarily over. I think, the combination of earnings expansions that we're going to see over the next quarter, uh, the moderation in stock prices that we're seeing as well, uh, that's actually very healthy for the market. I think over the next couple of months, we're going to start to see uh, valuations in the equity market start to look attractive again. Um, so because of that, you know, potentially in, later on in Q3 or, or in Q4, we potentially start to see that rotation back in equities, which is going to put more upward pressure on yield. So, um, and on top of that, you know, the Fed's going to start talking about tapering at the end of the year as well. So, you know, again, I think ZAG is still a very good core position to your port, uh, fixed income portfolio. Uh, but if you were to complement that with ZPR, which is our laddered preferred tier ETF, and with ZTIP.F, which is our short-term uh, U.S. TIPS ETF that's hedged back to the Canadian dollar, um, you know, by combining those three uh, fixed income or fixed income related ETFs, uh, that's going to make your fixed income portfolio much more well-rounded, where it's going to benefit uh, if interest rates are going down, whether they're going up, or whether we continue to start seeing inflation. Um, that's a well-rounded way of you know, building a fixed income portfolio. Great. Thanks for that, Alfred. Certainly lots to think about on the fixed income side of the book. And just as advisors start preparing for rates to go one way, they they go the other, but certainly your point to the to the longer term expectations is is well appreciated. So I'm going to turn now to some questions that have been uh, emailed in. The first, the sell off this week shows that volatility is increasing. Can you give us some choices on how to position portfolios to mitigate risk and take advantage of it? Yeah, so I think, you know, the natural answer, the easy answer is to talk about, you know, low volatility ETFs. Um, I think that is a good way to manage volatility um, if we see an uptick in equity market volatility. So, you know, our low volatility ETFs, again, are, you know, it's a good diversified way of getting, um, you know, a portfolio of stocks that are less volatile than the market. Um, but I think, you know, one ETF that a lot of our listeners may not be aware of and is a good way to position for, increased uh, volatility is uh, ZPay, which is our premium yield ETF. So in this ETF, what we're doing is we buy uh, T-bills and we will sell both call options and put options. 
Um, so uh, with this ETF, what we're doing is we're collecting premiums for, from both uh, call writing and put, op- uh, put option writing. Um, so what we're doing is we're writing puts with lower strikes, and then we're writing call options with higher strikes as well. So the way I see this is, is basically it's a more disciplined way of getting um, a buy low and sell high strategy. So, you know, as uh, equity markets potentially become more volatile, what happens is um, if the market falls, we're being, you know, forced into buying um, stocks at a lower strike price. And then as the, mar- as the market rallies, we're being forced out of these positions through, you know, the short position. So again, it's a very disciplined way of, you know, buying low and selling high. Um, so again, if volatility picks up, um, there's two ways in which the CTF benefits. One, uh, the increased volatility means that we're going to get uh, richer uh, premiums. Uh, so we're going to earn more uh, through writing those uh, call and put options. But two, um, again, as I mentioned, if uh, volatility starts to pick up, it's, again, it's that disciplined way of you know, buying stocks on the low and then selling them uh, potentially higher. Great. Thanks for that one, Alfred. Uh, another interesting one that's come in, uh, understanding that there is a potential cap from LRCN, the Limited Recourse Capital Notes. What does this mean for preferred shares and most specifically ZPR, BMO's Ladder Break Reset ETF? Yeah, so that's a good question. I think the common misconception out there is that you know, banks and insurance companies have unlimited issuance ability on uh, LRCN bonds, which are the limited recourse notes that were introduced um, last July in Canada. So um, just as a recap, you know, um, a lot of banks and insurance companies since last July have been issuing um, LRCN bonds to raise capital, and that capital that they raise, they're essentially using this to redeem outstanding preferred shares. So that's been you know, very beneficial for the preferred share market because, you know, when they call back their preferred shares, they essentially call the market par value, which is $25. So over the last year, we've seen um, a lot of issues in the preferred share market that were trading at a very steep discount of, you know, $17 or $18. Uh, they've, you know, gradually moved back up to par value, $25 over the last year. Um, so, you know, not, not to dig too much into the weeds, but LRCN, um, is considered tier one capital under under Basel three, um, so th- so they're considered on equal footing with preferred shares. But the difference is that, you know, from an issuing perspective, it's much more cost efficient to issue LRCN bonds compared to preferred shares. Um, so banks and insurance companies, uh, they have to have a certain percentage of their risk weighted assets classified as additional tier one. So it's 1.5 percent of their risk weighted assets. And out of that 1.5%, only half of which is allowed to be LRCN bonds. Um, so over the last year, you know, as I mentioned, we've seen a lot of issuance um, of banks and insurance companies um, issue these LRCN bonds. So a lot of the smaller banks, the Laurentian, uh, Laurentian Bank, uh, Canadian Western Bank, and even National Bank, uh, they're pretty close to the limit. Uh, some of them have even you know, reached their limit in terms of LRCN issuance. Uh, but the larger banks, with the exception of TD, uh, they're about, you know, close to about 50% of their LRCN cap. Um, so the impact on uh, ZPR is going to be, um, you know, yes, banks and insurance companies will continue to issue LRCN bonds, uh, which is going to be um, a tailwind for preferred shares. Uh, so we're still going to see that, you know, tailwind um, effectively over the next year, year and a half. Um, 
But over the long term, I think, you know, because there is an, a limit or a cap on LRCM issuance, um, that means the preferred share asset classes, it's still going to be in existence over the long term um, as banks and insurance companies kind of reach their limit in terms of issuance of LRCN. Uh, preferred shares are still going to be an, an option for these issuers uh, to raise capital that qualify as additional tier one capital. Great. Thanks for that, Alfred. And just one more that's coming from Advisor. I know you've spoken about fixed income, but specifically a comment here, are central banks starting to change their tune on quantitative easing and what might that mean for fixed income? Thanks. Yeah, so, you know, that's a good question. I mean, you know, to your point, I think we kind of highlighted, you know, what to do with fixed income already. But uh, in terms of, you know, the central bank, uh, um, you know, in, in terms of their tone, in terms of, of tapering, um, it definitely has shifted over the last week, especially with the Fed. Um, you know, the Bank of Canada has already started. They're, you know, winding down their asset purchase programs. They've terminated a number of their programs back in May. Uh, but the Fed, you know, obviously, um, the expectation is that they're going to start tapering sometime in, in later Q3 or, or maybe Q4. Uh, but I think as inflation starts to tick up or as, as we start to see more sustained inflation, um, I think the Fed is going to potentially have to raise rates sooner rather than later, a lot sooner than you know what the market in, anticipates. Um, but I think um, you know raising rates, uh, it doesn't really address a lot of the short-term inflation concerns given that you know, short over the short term, it's the inflationary concerns are more due to supply chain disruptions. Uh, but I think if we see, you know, over the next four to five months, whatever the market considers as a transitionary period, um, I think if, if inflation still persists, you know, six months down the road, what potentially can happen is uh, rates can potentially move up quicker than what the market anticipates. So again, you know, I think that, you know, having that core portfolio of Zag. And then complementing it with, you know, five to, five to ten percent position in each of ZPR and ZTIP.F, um, I think that's a good, well-rounded way of putting together a fixed income portfolio. Great, thanks for that, Alfred. And certainly noticing that that shift in tone uh, and seeing that affect markets. So with that, that's all the questions we have for today. So I'd like to thank everyone for listening in. Of course, thanks to Alfred as well, and a special thanks for going solo today and answering all the questions, so really appreciate it. With that, just want to thank everyone one last time, and have a great day. Thank you to Alfred Lee and Mark Race for joining us on the BMO ETFs podcast. Today, we heard about multiple investment strategies to surf the rising tide of volatility, including ZPay, our premium yield ETF, and ZRE for REITs. Our experts also discussed two ETFs that are sometimes mixed up, ZIN, ZIN with one N, our industrials exposure, and ZINN, ZIN with two Ns, an innovation-focused ETF for investors who want to invest in tomorrow's technology today. For more information about the ETFs discussed in this podcast, check out the episode notes, contact your regional BMO ETF specialist, or visit the Canadian ETF dashboard at bmoetfs.ca, that's bmoetfs.ca. The viewpoints expressed by the portfolio managers represent their assessment of the markets at the time of publication. Those views are subject to change without notice at any time without any kind of notice. The information contained herein is not and should not be construed as investment, tax, or legal advice to any party. 
Investments should be evaluated relative to the individual's investment objectives, and professional advice should be obtained with respect to any circumstance. Any statement that necessarily depends on future events may be a forward-looking statement. Forward-looking statements are not guarantees of performance. Views from the Desk has been brought to you by BMO Global Asset Management.